So someone pointed out to me this week that what we shop for in a crisis really reveals a lot about us. And I think you saw that if you, like I did, walked the aisles of a grocery store this week. Um, you saw a lot of some things and, and not a lot of other things. And, and everything that you saw was really revealing about what really matters to us. And so just think for a moment about the things that you saw and the things that you didn't see. I mean, there were certain sections of the grocery store that were like completely desolate this week. It was almost an eerie sight to behold shelf upon shelf upon shelf of meat or potatoes or toilet paper of all things that were just completely barren. And just think about what that reveals. And then think about the fact that there were other sections of the grocery store where you could find everything that you would normally find. Like, I didn't really wander over into the cosmetic section because I don't spend a lot of time there to begin with, but my guess is if you were looking for some kind of exfoliating cream at Food Lion this week, you had no trouble finding that. If you were looking for your favorite facial moisturizer, you probably had no trouble finding that. And even in the food sections, like, if what you were looking for was the ability to OD on a big old bag of Kit Kats, you could do that too. Because as we shop in a crisis, we reveal... The fact that we have a very good understanding of the difference between necessity and luxury. We have a very good understanding of the substance that we need to live on and the fluff that we otherwise just like to have in our lives when it's not a season of crisis. And so what the grocery store revealed about us this week is that we do, in fact, know the difference between what we need and what we want And it's in that spirit that I want to just kind of gather us under the teaching of the Word of God this morning. We want to recognize as we sit under Scripture that there is a difference between what we want and what we need. Even in terms of the news that we receive, right? There's a difference between what we want to hear and what we need to hear. And so there are a lot of us this morning who might like to hear good news about the coronavirus, right? We might like to hear good news about when it is that our lives are going to resume to normal. We might like to hear good news about when a vaccine or a cure is going to be discovered. But there's something different than that that we need to hear, right? That actually is fluff in comparison to the necessity that we sit under when we sit under the truth of the word of God. Right? The God of the universe, the God who created everything and sovereignly rules over everything, he spoke all things into existence by the word of his power, and he's spoken to us in scripture. And so when we gather under the word, we're hearing the voice of the very God who creates and sustains all things, the God who reigns on that throne that, God, that Matt described to us earlier this morning. And we can recognize as the people of God that, yes, there are some things that we really want to hear right now. But there's a big difference between what we want to hear and what we need to hear. What we need to hear is the word of God. We need to hear the gospel. And so that's why we're here. Why I hope you are dialed into this live stream with us this morning. This morning we're beginning a new teaching series uh, through the parables of Jesus and the gospel of Matthew. I hope you have a Bible with you or some way to get the Bible in front of you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 this morning as we begin that series. And and we just do that with the recognition of the fact that the teaching of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, these are far more like meat and potatoes than candy and cosmetics, right? These are the things that we need to hear. 
in any circumstance, in any season, in any situation, we need to hear the words of the word made flesh. And so we put ourselves together under the teaching of Christ, especially his parables. Today we're looking at the parable that's very commonly called the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. Before we read that together, let me pray for us. Father, we again thank you for the opportunity that we have to still gather in this way through this technology. And when we know, Lord, that that there's nothing that binds your word, there's nothing that hinders your word from advancing by the power of your spirit. And so we pray, indeed, that that no one would struggle with a device that's not working this morning. We pray that, that there would be no glitches this morning that keep us from hearing your word and responding to it. We pray that there would be nothing that stands in the way of your word being clearly understood and applied and lived out that there would be nothing that would keep us from treasuring you as you're revealed through your word. For all of that, we need your work and your spirit and your power. And so we pray for those things now as we put ourselves under the teaching of Jesus in this text. We pray all of that today in Christ's precious name. Amen. So Matthew 13 actually contains seven parables that Jesus taught all kind of in one big setting. We're looking at the first of them today. It starts in verse 1. I hope you can read along with me from Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And so we see just a few details there that are important. This is a very large crowd that's coming to Jesus, so large that it forces him off of the beach and out onto the water in this boat so that he can address the entire crowd that's before him. But the point of that is that though there are many sets of ears listening to Jesus as he teaches this parable, not all of them are truly hearing, which is why Jesus goes on to tell this parable. Verse 3, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil. And produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now there are a couple of just subtle details that I want to point out as we get started here. Um, First, I want to point out the fact that this is a parable that includes a command. Not every parable does. In fact, most parables don't. So when we encounter one that has a command, we should pay attention to it. That command, it shows up in verse 9 when Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. That's the command for us today. We're supposed to listen. We're supposed to listen to the parable. We're supposed to listen to the word of Jesus. We're supposed to listen to the teaching that is here because the ultimate point of this parable is that how we respond to the teaching of Jesus is going to reveal something about us. How we respond to the word of God is going to reveal the condition of our hearts. 
The other details that I want to point out are just the fact that very little is said about the seed and very little is said about the method of the sower. Because those things aren't really important here. The seed, we'll learn, it represents the word of God. And the sower represents really anybody who proclaims or teaches the word of God. But this parable isn't about those two things. This parable is about the four different kinds of soil that that seed lands in. And it's about what those four different kinds of soils represent. They represent four different kinds of people, or maybe we should say four different conditions of the human heart. And the way each human heart responds to the word of God, it reveals the condition of that human heart. That's the point of this parable. But before Jesus unpacks that, he says some things about the purpose of this parable, and really the purpose of every parable. We should listen to what he says. Pick back up with me in verse 10. He says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so the thing I want you to notice is is just that Jesus divides the crowds that are listening to him into two groups of people. He's come away here with his disciples, his closest followers, and he's saying, to you has been given the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, to those who are on the outside, they don't get that same knowledge. They don't understand. And so that's why I teach in parables. What Jesus is really driving at here is the fact that he teaches in parables because parables at the same time conceal truth about the kingdom of heaven and they reveal truth about the kingdom of heaven. Parables can do that all at the same time. They can conceal what is true from some and they can reveal what is true to others. When my wife and I were in college, when we were still dating, um, for a long season of our lives, we went to this large worship gathering for college students that occurred in the city where we lived. It happened every Monday night, and at this place, like thousands of college students would gather every week to worship together and to hear teaching from God's word, and that was just a regular part of the thing that Kristen and I did when we were dating each other. We went to this thing together, and it was a large gathering, so it had to happen at a very large church, and in fact, the, the building that this church occupied It's one of the largest facilities I've ever been in, in terms of a church facility. I think the place occupied its own zip code, right? It was just massive. This auditorium that all the people sat in, it could seat almost tens of thousands of people. And then the lobby that you walked in to get there was almost as big. It just had this massive lobby. And we always knew that there was no way we would find each other. This is, we're old, so this is before the days of cell phones. We always knew that the only way we would find each other is if we had a meeting point, a rendezvous point in that lobby. And so one of the unique architectural features of this really large church building was this long row of 66 stained glass windows in the lobby. There were 66 of them, one representing the story or the theme of every single book in the Bible. And so Kristen and I, we just knew that we were going to meet underneath the stained glass window representing the book of the Song of Songs, which was kind of an inside joke that we shared with one another. As I look back on it, it wasn't that funny, but we were really amused by it at the time. Every week we'd meet there underneath the Song of Songs stained glass window. Now I don't know if you've ever been in a church building that has stained glass windows, 
They can be kind of cheesy at times, but at other times they can be really beautiful. The scene depicted can be gorgeous and stunning and and moving. And if you're sitting inside the room, especially when the sun catches them in just the perfect way, shining through so you see all the colors and all of its brilliance, it can really be a sight to see. But even when you're sitting on the inside at that exact perfect moment, right, right at that perfect moment, when you see the stained glass window and all of its brilliance, if you were to walk outside of the building and look at that stained glass window from the outside, you would see none of that same brilliance. Right? You might be able to make out some of the shapes or some of the patterns, but you'd see none of the color, none of the glory or the beauty of the stained glass window. Because the stained glass window's scene is really only visible to those who are on the inside, not to those who are on the outside. Jesus is saying that parables are like that. Right? To those who are on the inside, to those to whom has been given knowledge of the kingdom, Right? The scene is brilliant and beautiful, and truth can be understood. But to those who are on the outside, those same things can't be seen. Now, what makes the difference between those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside? Well, that's the point that Jesus goes on to make when he keeps talking. He, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, that same text that we began our morning with. Read, with. read in verse 13 with me, still in Matthew 13. He says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, and here's Isaiah 6, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed." lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. What does Jesus mean when he says this? Jesus, he's, he's getting at the fact that the ministry of Isaiah really revealed a certain truth or a certain principle. It's actually a principle that's laid before us in the Bible pretty regularly. That principle is the fact that we always become like what we worship. And so he's saying, remember the ministry of Isaiah. Isaiah was called to minister to this people who had become hard-hearted. Why were they hard-hearted? Well, they were hard-hearted because they worshiped idols. They bowed down to and they worshiped these statues of wood and stone. And those statues, they had eyes and they had ears, but they weren't seeing and they weren't hearing. And Isaiah's point, Jesus' point in quoting Isaiah, is the fact that spiritually speaking, we become exactly like that when we are idolaters. Because of sin, we become just like that. People who see, but don't perceive. People who hear, but don't truly hear. What he's doing is he's making a point about spiritual sensitivity. He's saying that there there can become a time in your life when, because of sin, though you see the truth of the word, you don't really understand the truth. Though you hear the truth of the word, you don't really listen to the truth of the word. And so your response to those things, it can reveal the fact that you are, in fact, a hard-hearted person. And so we all kind of recognize that if there are abilities that we have that we don't utilize, we, we lose those abilities, right? Like if you spend the next weeks or months that we're under quarantine sitting on your couch and you do nothing, It's going to be pretty difficult for you to walk when you get back up after that period of time. 
My mother, who is in, almost in her 70s, um, she spends a lot of time doing like crossword puzzles and Sudoku puzzles and things like that because she, she recognizes that if she doesn't exercise her mind, she's going to lose the intellectual ability that she has. Now, this is a live stream, so I won't make jokes about my mom like I want to make right now. But the point is, I think, something that we all understand, right? If we have abilities and we don't use them, then eventually we lose those abilities. Our muscles will atrophy. Our minds will begin to slip. If we don't use what we have, we'll lose the ability to have those things at all. Spiritually speaking, that's true also. If we're people who hear the word and see the word, yet sin in our lives numbs us so that we can't truly listen and can't truly see, then eventually we lose the ability to understand. But if we're hearing but not hearing, before long we'll get to the point where God just gives us over to our spiritual insensitivity and the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven won't be given to us. It's only when we come to the word of God with hearts that are soft, with a posture that's ready to receive the truth that God has for us that the Lord will continue to give us eyes that are open and ears that are hearing so that we can continue to see and to hear. Do you see what's at stake every time we open God's word? Do you see what's at stake every time we set ourselves before the teaching of scripture? Do you see that it's possible to listen to the word but never hear? To become so hard-hearted or casual or indifferent, indifferent in the way that we interact with scripture that eventually God can just give us over to that hard-heartedness. He can give us over to, to being casual about the things of the Lord. He can give us over to our indifference so that we can't see and so that we can't hear. And I just want to invite you this morning as you think about this, like, is that you? Like, are you a person who hears the word of God and is generally indifferent to it? Are you a person who hears the word of God and is generally casual about it. When you hear the truth of the gospel, does it move you? Or is it like water off a duck's back to you? When you hear the truth of scripture, what happens in your heart? See, Jesus, he's teaching this parable because the way we respond to the word of God, it reveals the condition of our hearts. What does the way that you respond to scripture reveal about you? Jesus goes on to point out the fact that because we have the word, we have this immense and incredible privilege. Because we have the gospel, we have this immense and incredible privilege. He says to his disciples, verse 16, he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Friends, the truth of the gospel, it's a truth that many have longed to see and hear. Do we treasure it like that? Does our attitude before the word of God reflect the fact that it is the precious treasure God himself tells us it is? I wonder if in light of that, We don't need to just right now, right here, where we are, pause and ask the Lord to give us eyes to see and ears to hear 
as we continue to walk through his text this morning. And so there's a chance you're sitting in a quiet living room or somewhere where, where nobody's distracting you and where a moment of silence will be a really sweet thing for you. And I realize also that, like it is with my family, that there, there's the likelihood that you're sitting around a device of some kind and there are squirmy children and, and quiet isn't really possible. But regardless of the situation you're in, I just want to encourage you right now to take a moment and to ask the Lord to give you a heart that is soft to his word. I want you to take a moment to pray that the Lord will give you eyes to see and ears to hear before we continue. So let's just do that. Just 60 seconds of quiet before we continue to walk through this, asking the Lord to give us hearts that are right before him as we sit under his word today. Lord, we do pray this morning that you would make us people who are seeing and truly perceiving, listening and truly hearing. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we can see that Jesus has taught us this parable, and then he's explained the purposes of parables. And now he explains the meaning of this parable, the parable of the sower. Let's look at that together. Let me read Matthew 13, 18 through 23. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And so Jesus makes it clear here in verses 18 and 19 that the seed is the word of his kingdom, the word of God, and that the four soils, they represent four different conditions of the human heart. He talks about, in verse 19, the hardened heart, the seed that's sown along the path. In verses 20 and 21, he talks about the shallow heart, the seed that is sown among the rocks. In verse 22, he talks about what I'll call the strangled heart, the seed that's sown among thorns. And then finally, in verse 23, he talks about the fruitful heart, the seed that is sown on good soil. And we're going to spend a couple of minutes just talking about each of these different heart conditions 
But before we do that, I want to remind you about the command in this passage. Remember, the command in this passage is listen. We're supposed to hear the word of God, and then we're supposed to consider how the word of God, what it reveals about the condition of our hearts. So when we talk about each of these four heart conditions, the question that's before us should always be, does that describe me? When I think about how I respond to the word of God, is that describing me? Is it me? So first, let's talk about the hardened heart in verse 19. With the hardened heart, there really are two problems. There's the hardness of the soil and the speed of the enemy. It's because the the heart is hard, because the ground is hard in this case. When the word is proclaimed to it, it bounces off that hard soil like a marble bouncing on a sidewalk, right? But then, because it's bouncing and not taking root anywhere, the enemy is able to swoop in and snatch it up very quickly. Before you can blink, Satan is there to steal that word away. And so Satan's speed and cunning, plus the hardness of the soil, They equal a situation where the seed just never has a chance to take root. Now, we probably all know people who have hardened hearts. Perhaps a difficult life has left them really bitter in life. Perhaps they're just always hostile toward or skeptical about the truth of Scripture. And maybe they're simply numb to the truth because of all of the pleasures that the world offers them. But we shouldn't really spend our time thinking about other people who have hard hearts. The question that's before us this morning is, is this me? Do I have a hard heart? Do you have a hard heart? And so when you hear the word of God, what happens in your heart? When you hear the word, are you stirred to worship? When you hear the gospel, are you moved to delight in your Savior? When you hear the good news, are you moved to repent of your sin and trust again in Jesus by faith? Or does the truth of God's word just bounce right off of you? Does it leave you bored or unimpressed or unmoved or indifferent? I pray that you'll be honest with yourself about that. What happens in your heart when you hear the word of God? Does it demonstrate, reflect, reveal a heart that is hard towards the things of God? The second kind of soil that Jesus describes is the soil of a shallow heart. Now in this case, the seed falls on rocky ground. And so initially, there is enough depth of soil and there are enough nutrients for the plant to begin to grow. But the soil, it lacks sufficient depth for roots to grow. And so it can't really take hold. As a result of that, the plant, it only grows for a little while. And then the sun or the wind come and they scorch the earth and the plant withers and dies. Now when someone with a shallow heart hears the word, initially they respond with joy. But that joyful enthusiasm, it's short-lived and trouble or persecution or trial or challenge come in their lives and that plant, it dries up and dies very quickly. Now again, I think many of us know people who have lived like this. We can remember the joy that they felt and that we felt when it seemed that they came to a saving knowledge of the Lord. But then we can also remember the pain and the sadness that we felt when they withered and when they fell away. Now, I think, in my mind, shallow-hearted people 
of all the different conditions of the heart, it's shallow-hearted people that are to be pitied most of all, right? This is the situation that breaks my heart most, at least. And, and it's not just me. These are the words of a German theologian named Helmut Thielike. That is a real name, I promise you. Thielike, he said this about shallow-hearted people. He said, a person who lets Jesus only halfway into his heart is far poorer than a 100% worldling. That's his way of talking about somebody who's always rejected Jesus. And so the person who lets Jesus in only halfway, Thielike says, is actually poorer than someone who's always kept Jesus at an arm length. Why? He says he does not get the peace that passes all understanding. And he also loses the world's peace because his naivete has been taken from him. In other words, the shallow-hearted person knows that the world doesn't offer him what satisfies, but he doesn't have what truly satisfies in Jesus. And so he has no peace at all. Now, shallow-hearted people, I think at times they seem like they've been converted. They seem like they're surrendering their lives to Christ. They seem like they've truly repented of their sin. They seem like they've become genuine worshipers of Jesus. But in the end, hardship and trial prove that they have not done any of those things or become any of those things. And again, my question this morning is just, does that describe you? Like, do you see the evidence of a growing faith in your life? A faith that lasts and endures through challenging circumstances, through trial, and even through persecution? Do you see evidence of perseverance and endurance in all things? Do hardship and trial, in fact, strengthen your faith? Or do they hinder your faith? Has the gospel really sown deep roots in your heart? Or are those roots shallow and likely to just be ripped up when the sun and the winds come? The third heart condition that Jesus talks about, I'm calling it the strangled heart. Like seeds sown on rocky places, This is seed that initially appears productive. But the problem is that other seeds are also productive in this soil. The kinds of seeds that produce weeds and thorns. And those weeds and thorns, as they grow, they choke out the fruit that should be coming from God's word. Jesus, he actually names those weeds and thorns in verse 22. He talks about the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word. These are the the broken, fallen masters that summon our allegiance away from Jesus. These are the passions that choke out our passion for Christ. These are the, the, the loves that diminish our capacity for loving Christ. And so as we think about that today, we must ask ourselves, do the worries of this life or the passions or attention that the world demands from me, do those things choke out the growth of the word of God in my life? Do I think more and care more and pray more about circumstances in life than I think on and delight in the things of the Lord? Am I being deceived into believing that money or the things money can buy might truly satisfy me? Or do I continue to rest in the fact that Christ and Christ alone is what I need to find satisfaction and joy and peace? Now, for most of us, friends, Satan's most effective strategy in derailing our faith 
is not to convince us that Jesus isn't real. Satan's most effective strategy is to convince us that Christ is just one important thing among many. Right? He's happy when Jesus is merely a part of our lives. What Satan doesn't want is for Jesus to be the very center of our lives. What he doesn't want is for Jesus to be the center of gravity around which everything else orbits. He's very content when the gospel is just one of those planets in orbit along with everything else that we prioritize in our lives. And so we need to ask ourselves today, does that describe me? Is my walk with Jesus merely a part of my life? Or is it my whole life? Is Jesus the sun around which everything else orbits? Or is he merely one of those planets in orbit? The final heart condition that Jesus talks about is the fruitful heart. This is the good soil. And you know that it's good soil because it bears fruit. The seed of God's word is sown in a fruitful heart. And that produces a bountiful harvest. Two different degrees for different people. Jesus said, in some cases, a hundredfold, and another 60, and another 30. But the point is, you always know that this is good soil because of the fruit that that soil is producing. Now, the Bible teaches us that there really are two kinds of fruit that God's word should produce in our hearts if our hearts are good soil. The first kind of fruit that God's word should produce is the fruit of good character. When I think about this, I just think about the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. And we should think about those things and ask ourselves, am I bearing that kind of fruit in my life? Am I growing in love in my life? Am I a more loving person today than I was yesterday or than I was a year ago or 10 years ago? Am I increasing in my love for people who don't love me back? Am I loving my enemies more today than I was yesterday? Am I forgiving people more than I was forgiving people yesterday? Am I more gracious? Am I more gentle? Am I more patient? Am I growing in joy, right? Even when circumstances are down, are my spirits up? Am I growing in kindness towards others? We should just think about the fruit of good character and ask ourselves, is my life demonstrating the evidence of that kind of fruitfulness, of that kind of growth? Is that me? But we shouldn't just see the fruit of good character. We should also see in our lives the fruit of good works if the word is sown in good soil in our hearts. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us that we should walk in them. And so I just ask you this morning, do you see the evidence of good works in your life? Are you finding more and deeper opportunities to serve the Lord and to serve others? Like in your family, are you pursuing greater opportunities to serve other people? In your church, are you pursuing greater opportunities to serve your church body or to serve the community that your church is situated in? If our hearts are good soil, they will produce good works. Is that you? Is that me? Now, having thought about each of these kinds of soil, I just want to bring us back to the main point of this parable. The way we respond to the word of God, it reveals the condition of our hearts. And we need to remember that because what Jesus is not doing here, he's not commanding us to become good soil. What he's commanding us to do, the only thing he commands us to do 
is to listen to his word and then to consider how we respond to his word, to let that reveal to us the true condition of our hearts. And so the most critical question I can ask you today is how have you heard? Does your response to the word of God reveal a soft, fruitful heart? Or do you sense in yourself as you respond to the word a heart that's hard, a heart that's shallow, or a heart that's strangled? I mean, how does your heart respond truly to the truth of God's word? How does your heart respond even to the good news of the gospel? When you hear the announcement of good news, how do you respond? When you hear that Christ is the creator and owner of all things, including you, how do you respond? When you hear that Christ is worthy of your worship and your allegiance, how does your heart respond to that truth? When you hear about the reality of your sin, when you hear that you have offended God through your sin, when you hear that you are guilty of high treason against heaven, when you hear that you are fully deserving of the wrath of God and eternity in hell apart from God, how does your heart respond to this truth? When you hear the good news that Jesus willingly died on the cross for you in your place, when you hear that Jesus willingly drank the cup of God's wrath for you, when you hear that Jesus willingly bore the curse that you deserved to bear, when you hear that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for you, how does your heart respond? And when you hear that Jesus rose from the grave in victory, when you hear that he conquered sin and conquered death and ensured eternal life for all who will trust in him, when you hear that Jesus will return in power and glory to establish his kingdom forever, and when you hear that when he does that, he will wipe every tear from every eye so that there will be no more sin and no more death and no more suffering and no more pain and no more sickness, when you hear that good news, how does your heart respond? How do you respond to the truth of the word of God? When you hear the message of Jesus, church, what happens in your heart? I pray that it's soft. I pray that it bears fruit. Now I know that many among us, many who are are dialed into this live stream, many who call Life Church home, by grace we are growing and fruitful people. And if you sense that that is you this morning, I pray that over these next few moments, you would just walk into a moment of joy and thanksgiving because of the grace that God has revealed to you and the good, soft heart that he's given you. But if you're dialed into this today and you found in any way that your heart is hard or shallow or strangled, I pray today that you would take that as a challenge and not a conclusion. I pray that you would take that as an invitation to life and not as a sentence to death. Friends, because our God is a God who changes hearts. And I would just encourage you to ask him to change yours. Ask him to give you eyes that see and ears to hear. Ask him for a hearing that transcends your eardrums and penetrates your very soul. Pray with me. Father, we pray that you would give us good hearts that respond rightly and joyfully and with gratitude because of your grace. We pray that you would stir us to have eyes that are open and ears that are open 
to truly perceive and see and hear the good news of your kingdom. The news that is worth building our lives upon. We pray that today, in the name of Christ, amen.